0: Alright, let's turn to Acts chapter 5, and we will read verse number 17, and then we'll, we'll read a little, a little ways down, uh, down to verse number 32, and then we'll jump down to verse number 41, okay? The Bible says, Acts chapter 5, verse 17, Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation. Now, before... The Bible does not say when this happened in chapter 3. Is it chapter 3? I think it's chapter 3. I might be mistaken. Let me see. Chapter 4. Sorry, chapter 4. The Sadducees and the council were not filled with indignation. The Bible says they were grieved. Now they're flat out mad. All right, And the Bible says, "...and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison." But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, now listen, this is the first time recorded, but certainly not the last. We've noticed that the, the persecution is getting progressively worse. This is the first time in the scripture that, that the apostles have been imprisoned as a result of their preaching. Um, and this is going to get worse uh, even in this text we're gonna, we're, that we'll see here in verse 33, they're going to plot to slay them. So that's the first mention of the death of the apostles. But then it's going to spread not only to the apostles, but to the other disciples as well, like Stephen, who's eventually going to be martyred, which is kind of the pinnacle of the... Uh, uh, well, the pinnacle or, or really the main part of the persecution in Jerusalem, and so the Bible says, uh, but the angel of the Lord came by night and opened the prison doors and brought them forth. Now, I just want to say this in verse 19 as we keep going, that the Lord doesn't always open the prison doors. Many, many faithful people like Peter, like John, like the apostles stayed in the prison. And were not, the doors were not open for them miraculously. Some of them, the doors were only open to take them to the executioner's block. So this is not representative of everything that happens, for, that happens all the time for sure. Verse 20, the angel says, go and stand, go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. Just note, the angel did not go and, and stand and speak to the people. He told the disciples to go and stand and speak to, you know why? Because that is their responsibility, not the angels. That is theirs. God has chosen to use men to get the gospel to men. And that reminds us, that's, that, that means if we do not tell people, they are not going to know, period. They're just not going to know because that is our duty. That is our responsibility. It's not the angels' responsibility. The angels say, hey, look, you need to go tell him, And this happens in uh, chapter 10 as well with, with uh, the, uh, Cornelius and his group, that the angel came to them and said, you need to call for Peter, and he's going to tell you everything you need to know to get, have eternal life. The angel could have told him, but he didn't, because that wasn't his prerogative. Verse number 21 says this, And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came, and they that were with him, and called the council together and all the senate, "...of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they found them not in the prison, they returned, and told, saying, The prison truly found we shut with all safety, and the keepers standing without before the doors. But when we had opened, we found no man within. Now the high priest, when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these things, they doubted." Now listen to this. "...they doubted of them whereunto this would grow." Their primary consideration is not the truth. It's how they look. It's how they appear. It's their power. There's an ulterior motive. You know, that, that generally characterizes most people. When you witness somebody and they respond negatively, I, I'm just going to venture, maybe, maybe you have a different opinion, and that's okay. I would dare to say probably eight out of ten people that respond negatively aren't responding to the gospel as much as to some other motive that relates it could be that they had a bad experience at church. It could be that they were victims of some sort of abuse. It could be that they, you know, ha- they, they've had some thing happen in their life. It's not, the go- it's not about the gospel. It's about something else. And that's what we see here. These motives are, are mixed. Verse 25. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then went the captain with their officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straitly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Paul, pause a second. I'm not even, I ain't gotten to the message yet. I just, this is just reading. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great? if our church filled Greenville with this doctrine? Wouldn't it be great if you and I, the Lord used us to fill Greenville with this doctrine? That's what I was talking about on Sunday. That that Choice Hills Baptist Church, certainly not for its own glory and for its own sake, but Choice Hills Baptist Church would be a source of the truth and the gospel in this area. And that we would be known, like the scripture says, for for from you sounded out the word of the Lord. That we would be known, not because of our whatever, but because of our faith is being heard. Our Savior's name is being proclaimed by us. You know, sometimes we think we're little and we are little. We think we can't do a lot of things like that, big things. But the Lord can do big things. The Lord can do big things. Verse 29, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom He slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with His right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are His witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey Him. Notice, when they, uh, when they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. Notice, conviction did not bring about a positive response, but a very negative response. Conviction often is not positive. It's often negative. So just because people respond negatively to us telling them about Jesus does not mean that we're not hitting home. It should not be all that discouraging. Where you should be discouraged, if you should be, where you should, the, the, the response that you, should, that you get that should cause you and prompt you to pray the most is what? Indifference. Indifference. That's not natural, right? We think, well, when somebody responds negatively, that means they really need prayer, and they do. But indifference means they're not awakened to it. It hasn't cut the quick yet. And So we drop down to verse number 41. And they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. And daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. (coughs) Our Lord... Thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace upon us. Thank you for establishing this church. Lord, as we think of the anniversary here coming up soon, Lord, we're hopeful to you in faith that you're going to do great things. Lord, that you will move among us, that you will stir us up, that you will give us a new desire, Lord, to walk with you, to obey you, and to love you. Lord, we pray that you would do a great work through us, not for our own glory. God forbid that we should glory, but that the name of Christ may be glorified through us. Lord, help us as we study your word tonight. Please, Lord, teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to concentrate on verse number 29, where Peter answers quite concisely, quite pointedly. We ought to obey God rather than men. We ought to obey God rather than men. You know, the the word obey is used in this this chapter in verse number 29, but it's also used in verse number 32, "Whom whom God hath given to them that obey Him. It's in verse 36. As many as obeyed Him. It's in verse 37 even as many as obeyed him. You see that? Four times in this chapter, we see this word obey. And you know, listen, the word obey is not a four-letter word. It is a four-letter word. Who caught that? Who caught that before I caught it? Who caught it? Of course, Miss Lynn caught it. It's not a four-letter word in the sense of foul language. But listen, in our world, especially in the religious world, obedience has such a negative connotation. Obedience has such a negative connotation because, it, because if there's obedience, that means there's, it implies there's a command. And people don't like that. In our day, people want only affirmation. I have been just bewildered at the things that my wife's in this. I think I mentioned it in Sunday school. She's in some of these mommy groups And uh, on Facebook where people come in, they move into Greenville from other places and they say, we're looking for a church. And then they have a list of, you know, 347 things that they want in a church. And basically, they're just basically listing a church that they create. And most of the time it means they're going to agree with everything I say and do and they're going to affirm everything I do. And nobody's ever going to say I'm wrong or judge or whatever. That's what they say. But see, out of that spirit comes this idea that obedience is bad. Obeying God uh, its so harsh. It's so servile. Well, hold on. To the believer, obedience is joy. Let me say that again. To a child of God, obedience is joy. It's a great source of joy. You know, when the child of God is not living in obedience to God, he doesn't have joy because joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. A child of God cannot, cannot live in sin and disobedience and rebellion and be happy, nor should he or her. So to the believer, obedience is joy, but to the lost, it's a grief. Because obedience means they're restrained. So a lot of people that don't want to obey, they hate commandments, they don't want restrictions, they don't want anything like that, all I think, I think honestly reveals where they are spiritually. Because to the believer, obedience is not a grief. Jesus said His commandments are not grievous. So if His commandments are not grievous, of course speaking to His disciples, then why would they grieve us? And you, and that means something's wrong with us, not the commandments. So there's a, hold your place here and let, look at a couple other places and look at Deuteronomy first, chapter 30. And we'll hurry on to the, the main part of what I want to say. Deuteronomy 30, verse number 2. Of course, we know the Old Testament, especially these mean old Deuteron- Deuteronomy books. And the law, these commandments and rules and regulations. Listen, don't fall into that kind of trap. Deuteronomy, listen to what it says in, in chapter 30, verse 2. And shalt return, the Lord says, and shalt return unto the Lord thy God and shalt obey. Notice that his voice according to all that I command thee. There's the word command. It's implied in the word obey. This day, thou and thy children with all thine heart and with all thy soul. Notice what it says. He says, thou shalt obey. I'm, I'm going to skip a little bit to, to make it clear. Thou shalt obey his voice with thine heart. You see that? That's the grammar. Thou shalt obey his voice with thine heart, with all thine heart. Thou shalt obey his voice with thy soul. You know what that means? That means the obedience, which is outward, where does it come from? It comes from the inside. It comes from the with thy that's the tool to use it. I'm using my when I obey the Lord, when you obey the Lord, we ought to be obeying him from the heart. We obey him from the inside, not just our body obeying him. But our heart is obeying Him. When the heart obeys the Lord, the body follows. Look at Romans chapter (coughs) 6. Romans chapter 6. And verse number 17. Bible says but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin but ye have obeyed notice that from the what heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you listen the word obedience obey is not is not a bad word it's a good word but it has to be done in the right way it's not just about looking the part and following the rules and obeying the pastor and No, no, it has nothing whatsoever to do with that. As we'll see in a minute, it has everything to do with the heart of a man. See, people, these days, people want to talk and emphasize the heart. Oh, well, he's got a good heart. Well, in my heart, I want to do this. Or in my heart, I'm sincere. But listen, you can't have a sincere and obedient heart without a matching life. They go together. It is the outworking of an obedient heart. That is obedience. So when we look at obedience, which is what we're going to look at tonight, we have to understand that it, it comes out of the heart. It's not just the outside. It's the inside first. Now, as we go back to Acts 5, here's what we see. The angel lets them, in verse 19, the angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them forth. They've already been warned by the council. And here they are doing, now, now notice, notice, They've already been warned. They went out and preached about Jesus again. They have now been arrested and put in the prison. The angels let them out, and the angel tells them, go preach. So now this is two times that they have been reproved in some way and and threatened and warned and have felt that now they feel the sting. They're in jail until the night, at some point in the middle of the night. They feel the sting of persecution And the angel lets them out, and and he lets them out, not to relieve their sufferings, but to tell them to go preach. What did they have to do? Think about it. What kind of courage was needed for them to turn around and obey the angel of the Lord immediately? They have already felt the threat and the pressure. Here's what I want you to see. Obedience often requires courage. Obedience often requires courage. Now imagine these guys, they were, the Bible says, they were straightly commanded. They knew that if they disobeyed, there would be punishment, and yet they obeyed the Lord. They knew that there was a looming threat, there was pressure put to bear upon them, and they intentionally defied what they were told. Do you know why they did that? Because it was more important to them that they obey what Jesus had told them to do than it was that they obey men. Listen, obedience is not always going to be easy. It is often difficult. And obedience is often tested. Obedience is often tested because oftentimes, as as you know the Scripture, the Scripture and this world are not compatible. And what the Lord tells us to do in the Bible is often opposed to the grain of the world. And so you know what the effect is? It cuts across that grain when we obey. It takes courage. You're going to have to be serious. We're going to have to be serious. We're going to obey the Lord. Let me ask you a question. How serious are you? Ask yourself. How serious am I at my obedience to God? How serious am I at at obeying him? Would I obey the Lord under risk or pressure like these? Would you obey the Lord if there was actual, real pressure put upon you to not? It's easy to sit in our comfortable lives, in our freedom, and say, oh yeah, yeah, of course I would. But when you're in a position where you can't do that, it's not nearly as easy. And you know the, You know, the truth of that is this. If we have such difficulty obeying the Lord in our freedom, what makes us think that we would fare very well if God called upon us to obey in duress? We live in freedom. Most of the time for us, obedience is not not hard as in outside pressure put upon us. But here we should ask ourselves, Obedience is actually very simple. God's commands are pretty clear, right? We make a thousand excuses why we don't obey. And I'm including myself. I'm saying we on purpose. But obedience is fairly simple. We, listen, and one of the best things that you'll do, and one of the best things that I do, when how many of you, how many of you have trouble? Be honest. How many of you have trouble obeying the Lord sometimes? Even with simple things like praying. Like reading your Bible, like coming to church, like being nice to other people. Having the right attitude, right? Simple things, right? Those are simple things. Well, they should be simple. I have trouble with that too. I have trouble with that too. But obedience is simple. Lord, this is what you said. But if we get it, this will help you. If you just, if, if there's something that's difficult for you to do, maybe it's evangelism. Maybe it's difficult for you to get used to passing out gospel tracts. Here's what you do. Or, or telling somebody about Jesus or, or praying or whatever. Here's what you say. You say, Lord, you told me to do it. You know what that is? That's obedience by faith. That's what that is. Lord, you, you commanded me. I want to do it. I'm having a hard time. But you commanded me, I am doing this. I'm puny and weak and without strength, and I don't think I can do it. But I'm trying to do it because you have commanded me to do it. You know what? The word of God like that will strengthen you to obey. It will actually strengthen you and help you to obey with joy. Reminding yourself that the Lord told you to do it. You know, there's people, a number of cases all throughout the book of Acts in which God's people obey the Lord's commandment. And you know what most, listen now, m- the most common commandment or, or a very frequent commandment in the book of Acts that they had to risk something to obey, you know what often was, as we've seen here, it was to preach, to talk about Jesus. You know that? That's, that's a major theme in the book of Acts. We went through the Great Commission and now we're going through the book of Acts, but we're actually repeating ourselves here. Our church, listen, our church should be a place where the gospel is known and people in our church can give the gospel to other people and people in our church are passing tracts and asking people about their relationship to the Lord and telling people about why Jesus died. That That ought to be a mainstay feature in our church because that is the first century church. It's all throughout the book of Acts. And that, listen, that's not the sum, you passing out a gospel tract not, is not the sum total of spirituality. That's not the way it works. But it should be a main feature considering it is what the Lord commanded us to do. But in the book of Acts, we see people obeying Christ's commandments specifically at great risk or threat. And you know what that does? That provides us an example. That tells us if they did it under threat, if they did it under risk, if they defied the authorities and men to do it, that tells us that obedience to Christ should be our top priority. It should be done under all. They did it under the the difficult circumstances. Certainly it should be done under the less difficult circumstances. It should be our priority and it should be done under all circumstances. And when, those, when we obey the Lord, and when we see it in the Scripture, those that, te- that give testimony to obeying the Lord despite risk and threat, what they show is that obedience, faithful obedience to the Lord is worth the risk. And that God should be obeyed at all times, no matter the cost. That's what we see. second thing I want you to see is this. Verse 28, saying... Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. The devil is speaking through these men's mouths. The second thing I want you to see is this it is the work of Satan to break the obedience of Christ's disciples. That's what he is, that's one of his primary. Goals. Of course, we know Satan can't take our soul. That's, that's sealed. But he will, he will attempt to take our obedience. That's one of his primary goals. Think of all, think, think of all that's lost when the Christian stops obeying the Lord. God's glory is not proclaimed. The gospel is hidden. And that, of course, leads to people perishing in, in sin. People fall. Believers fall into sin because there's no intercession. There's spiritual ignorance because we're not in our Bible. There's no light in the world because we're the light. Our good works are the light of the world. And we could go on and on and on. All those things are are, are a result of the devil tempting by pressure, by threat, to get us to not obey the Lord. Because when we obey Him, those things are done. And when we don't, they're not. Consider the the pressure that's brought upon the disciples here in in, in this passage as well. What is the devil's goal in verse 28? What is the devil's goal? Of course, we know there's men here. I'll talk about about that in a minute. What is the devil's goal? Shut their mouths. Why? Now, from, from the high priest's perspective, it's about power and politics and all that. But from the devil's perspective, it's about the gospel. Shut the gospel down. You see, you can see both at the same time to stop them from preaching. And in fact, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, it says, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried. Now, we know human beings cast human beings into prison, but the devil's behind it. Persecution comes from the devil, but he will use men to do it. And you know what? He'll use people close to us to do it, to hinder and to knock us out and to break our obedience. So I'll say this. <clears throat> Any outside influence brought to bear to dissuade a disciple from obeying the Lord is satanic. Any outside influence brought to bear to dissuade a disciple from obeying the Lord is satanic in nature, regardless of its apparent source. Because this is the devil's work. This is what he's trying to get you to do. He's trying to get you through many means and methods to stop obeying the Lord. That's what he's doing here. Stop preaching. But it's not just preaching. It's a lot of other things. You think of examples like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Threat of a fiery furnace. Why? Why? Because they were obeying the Lord and not bowing to an idol. The second commandment says that. The first commandment of the Ten Commandments says that. They, by them refusing to bow, they are obeying. And, and think all those people fell when that music came and they hear these three guys just standing there, literally standing there. How did that look? Because you know they're all bowed down. Looking around. It glorified God that these three men who believed in their God would not bow. But the devil wanted to break that. And he used a fiery furnace to do it, to attempt. Job's wife, remember what she said? Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. The devil used his wife to get Job to curse God, to end his obedience. Look at Matthew chapter 16 real quick. This is a striking example. Verse 21, the Bible says, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Notice what the Lord says. But he turned and said unto Peter, a disciple, one of the most important disciples. Peter believed in the Lord. He loved the Lord. Get thee behind me, Satan. Peter's words were of the devil. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but, but those that be of men. See, Peter's words were the devil trying to get Jesus not to obey. Because if Philippians chapter two, listen to this. Philippians chapter two makes it very clear what the Lord was doing. Listen to this. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became, notice our word, obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. You see that? Jesus went to the cross out of obedience That's what it says, right? And here the devil speaking through Peter, one of his closest disciples, is trying to get Jesus to disobey. You see his goal? But you need to be careful because sometimes the devil uses people and they have no idea they're being used. Be careful. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. The Bible says in James 4, listen to this. James 4 verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. That's obedience, right? Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Here's the next, next sentence. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. How do you resist the devil? In our context, how do you resist him? What is his goal? What is he trying to get us to do? He's trying to get, he's trying to stop our obedience. Listen, please listen. The devil is trying to get each and every one of you The devil is trying to get me to not obey Jesus. Every day, every day, and he's using people to do it, among other things. We resist him by obeying because that's his goal. So resisting him is the opposite of that. Submitting to God, obedience. Resisting the devil, obedience. And again, obedience is not just road obedience, you know, making your body do things you don't want to do. No, it's God. For you, listen, if you're, if, you, if you're unconverted, obedience is just a, it's a grief. You don't want to do it. So I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking to that person tonight. Third thing I want you to see. There will always be men that attempt to persuade us not to obey the Lord. Sometimes knowingly and sometimes unknowingly. And in Acts chapter 5, what do you see? The devil's trying to get them to stop by means of persecution through the mouths of men. They said, we ought to obey God rather than, what's the next word? Men. You see that? The devil's using men to stifle their obedience. Now think about it. Many, there are many sources. There are many sources of, You might say many varieties of men that try to hinder and stop a Christian from obeying the Lord. In this case, you have government power being put to bear. That's satanic. But, you know, sometimes it's our job. Sometimes it's those in our work try to get us to to do things that, that that disobey the Lord. Sometimes it's our own family. We talk about our faith, and when we live by faith, follow the scripture, and our family criticizes us. Why do you do that? You're so strict. Why do you, why do, you do, oh, you don't drink, oh. oh you, why don't you go there? Why don't you do this? I mean, I, I've experienced that, and I'm sure you probably have too. My, I remember when we were raising our kids, how many times people tried to get us to stop Raising our children according to the Lord's, God's word. To not obey him, to do it some other way. Don't, listen, don't give up that fight. It ain't easy. Don't give up that fight if you have kids. Don't quit. It's hard. You're tired, I know. Don't quit. Obey the Lord. It'll bear fruit. But sometimes through the mouth of our own family, (laughs) we're discouraged from doing that. What about financial expectations? I remember when we first got married, there were people in our family that were urging us to do things that we didn't think were right with our finances. Oh, you can go out and get a loan. You can get a new, nice new car and all that. And I was, it, just, it just wasn't what God wanted us to do. And it was not what the scripture said. And we were trying to follow and obey the Lord. And you know what happened? The, there were people in our family. That were, here, here's the point. Sometimes it's social pressure. You know, it's what people wear. It's what people do. It's the way people act. And we feel like we must conform, right? People. But listen to what the disciples said. Remember, remember, the devil's goal ultimately is to get us to quit obeying the Lord, right? That's his goal. But he uses people to do it. And we have to be aware of that. We don't hate those people. They don't often, many, many times, probably the great majority of time, they have no idea. Just like Peter, when he said that to Jesus. He had no idea whatsoever that the devil was using him to try to get Jesus not to obey the Father and go to the cross. So we got we to remember that. They're not our enemy. We know who our enemy is and what he's trying to do. But we also need to know that he uses men and we need to be aware of that strategy. Even people that we love who are close to us, who we want to please, oftentimes he'll use remember what the disciples said. We ought to obey God rather than men. We ought to obey God. We, we got to do what he says, regardless of whatever man is telling us to do otherwise. And lastly, it really only comes down to one question. The question of obedience comes down to one question. Who am I obeying? In this this passage, in verse number 29, they say, we ought to obey God. They understood that they were obeying a direct command from the Lord Jesus Christ to preach the gospel in this context. They weren't following some tradition. They weren't following what some man gave, some command that man gave them. Their command came directly from God, and they knew it. So what we read in the Scripture, let me ask you, as a believer, as a disciple, what you read in the Scripture, whose commands are these? Whose word is this? Is it God's word? Do you believe that? Do I believe that? Are these things just merely all the things that we read in the Bible, these just merely commands that the church requires Or is it things that the pastor preaches that you have to follow? Listen, that's not good enough for the Christian. It is not good enough that the pastor pastor says you got to do something and it's not good enough that the church says you got to do something. It's what God says we have to do. That has to be the basis. We ought to obey our pastor rather than man. Whoa, don't do that. No, the basis is God himself. You are a priest of God. You have direct access to God himself. If we count them any less than the Lord's commands, they will never carry the same weight. And that's why I got to be careful. Brother Stewart, it's got to be careful. Preachers that preach and teach God's word. It's not about us. It's not about us telling people what they ought to do. It's about giving you what God says. We ought to obey God rather than man, right? Look what it says. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 14, verse 37. If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. You see that? They were coming from Paul, but it wasn't Paul's words, right? Listen to this one. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. You see that? Paul was the preacher, but they were counting his words as the word of God because that's what he was telling them. And, and hence, their obedience was to the Lord, not to Paul, except in as much as they, oh, they overlapped. So the bottom line is this, will I obey the Lord or man? It's a good question. They asked, they stated, we ought to obey God rather than man. Will I obey the Lord or man? Man. Amen, that's a good question for us to ask. Let's pray together.